Hi friends, this is Pastor Brad. Thanks so much for joining us for this special edition of our podcast. This is a recording of our Bible study coming soon. For this study, we're going to be looking at, at gaining a better understanding of end time prophecy and what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus. It's a very prevalent topic right now, and we hope that these sessions will help you as you navigate this challenging topic. The sessions will be coming out every two weeks, so keep checking back for the next one. We hope you enjoy your listening. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments. God bless you. All right, well, welcome everybody to to our study tonight, to those here in person, to those on Zoom. We're so grateful to be able to be together tonight. We're beginning our new study on end times, this, this look at biblical prophecy and what the Bible says and how we can understand it. And we're going to be together tonight talking about all of these issues, or we're at least going to begin by talking about these issues tonight. We've called our title, our our time together, Coming Soon. And we're going to explore what the Bible tells us about what this concept of end times is going to be like. Now, when we approach the topic of what's going to happen in the future, this, this idea of unfulfilled prophecy, we as believers can tend to make some mistakes or some missteps. And if there's one area in our theology that is the most open to error, it's probably in the discussions and the attempts to understand this idea of end times, this idea of biblical prophecy. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean by that? This idea of trying to understand what's going to happen when we don't have necessarily the specific fulfillments. The idea of trying to understand and interpret the Bible's prophecies, the book of Revelation, um, in understanding what the distant future might hold. There are some things that are ironclad, some things that, that we know, some things that, that we are, are not ambiguous about, or the Bible's not ambiguous about, our understanding isn't ambiguous about, some things that we just know to be true. We know that Jesus is going to come back. We know that, that that's not a question, it's not a wondering. The Bible tells us that clearly, that he's going to reign physically and bodily and in, in an eternal kingdom with the new heaven and the new earth being created. These are things that the Bible speaks to us clearly about. But it's all the stuff that can happen between now and then where things get a little mucky and people can get really weird on. Um, and when we are in crazy upheavals like we are now as we've walked through a global pandemic that, that you, neither you nor I have ever lived through before. We've never experienced these kind of things. We never, so many times we said, I never thought I would see the day. I would never thought I would experience. And we've experienced this over and over and over again. And then just as it seems like the world is sort of starting to wake up and move on from that Russia goes to war with Ukraine and all of a sudden there's more discussions and there's more things that people are pointing to and that we're pointing to and going is this it is this it and where where the world is weird and strange and odd and things just feel different and as a result these kinds of things get pulled to the forefront. People have asked me so many times, Pastor, is this it? Is this the end? Is Jesus coming back? Is, is, is this what's going to happen? Are we, are we living inside the book of Revelation right now? And people try to connect the dots and figure it out. And, but, but perhaps in ways they were never really meant 
to be figured out. These dots were maybe were never meant to be connected. And over the course of these times that we're together, I had originally intended this to be a three-session study, but, but session one has already grown into two sessions. So it might be four. It could end up being five. What was supposed to be session one is now no longer session one. We decided to do this instead. And so we've got all kinds of moving parts as I'm still endeavoring to unpack the story of this Bible study, which I'm sure you can understand and see and it would <laughs> empathize can be a little a little convoluted or a little bit tricky to, to pin all these topics down. But over the course of these times we're together, what we're going to, to be doing is perhaps a little different than what you were expecting. Or perhaps maybe even a little different than what you were hoping for. Um, I am not going to try and interpret all of the book of Revelation for you. Um, I am not going to sit up here and tell you what the six seals are. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what all of these things mean. I'm not going to try and unpack for you a date of the coming back of Jesus. That's not the secret ending to this study. Is not that Pastor Brad has figured it out and Jesus is coming back on. Stick around to the last session to find out. That, that's not what we're going to be doing. We're not even going to necessarily spend a whole bunch of time really dissecting and, and, and pulling apart the book of Revelation, um, we're going to spend some time talking about sort of some of these things on a, on a larger, a higher, not higher, not higher in terms of importance, but like a, a, a 40,000 foot view where we're going to take a look at the big picture. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. The big picture of some of these things and some principles and some guidelines and some ways of understanding script, what the Bible and what the Bible doesn't say so that as we attempt to do this, we've got some more tools inside of our toolbox to do that. What we're going to try and do is to pull up some of the things that we can know and some of the things that the Bible does tell us. We're also going to spend some time looking at the things that the Bible doesn't that we don't know and wade through how we can, can live inside of the things we don't know, how we can and understand and what tools do we use to, to use that. And we're looking at things that people, the Bible has told us and things that we do know that it turned out we didn't really know. Not to try and talk anything like that, but try and what the Bible actually says and not make it say something it doesn't. See, in understanding what the Bible has to say, out end times things. The principles and the ways of doing Bible study and understanding scripture, they don't really differ from the way that we do that with any other piece of theology. There are some things that do make it unique and we will talk about that, but the principles and the way that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. I'm going to use that expression a lot as we look at this. How do we, how do we rightly use God's word? The principles for that are, are the same as we would for any kind of Bible study and we're going to talk tonight about some of these that we need to have, and we're going to look at some examples of people who didn't do it so that we can understand how we need to rightly the word of truth. In a couple of weeks, we're going to really dig deep into what the Bible does say, but for tonight, we're going to focus a little bit on, on how not to use our Bibles. Because weirdly, what causes us a lot of problems when it comes to subjects like this is that we don't really know what the Bible has to say. The majority of us 
again, of us, not just us in the room or the people on Zoom, but as Christians, the vast majority of us are not experts on what's called eschatology. And that's, you know, the study of what the Bible will say about end times. We're not experts on these things. And so when, when somebody comes to us and says, I figured I have an Thing. I, I am an expert on all of this because we can feel so woefully like I don't really know much about anything. Um, we just end up having to take their word for it because we don't know any different. And that's because the study of unfulfilled prophecy is very hard. Um, fulfilled prophecy is much easier because you have the prophecy and then you have the fulfillment. Things like in the book of Hosea. I'm um, in the book of Hosea. Um, Hosea will write, out of Egypt I called my son. And when he wrote that, we, the people who would have heard it, would have, as, he, as he declared this, this, this prophecy, no one necessarily knew that it was a messianic prophecy. That somehow, oh, that's a, that's a prophecy of the Messiah. Now when we read Matthew, Matthew brings us back to that. And he'll say, as it is written, out of Egypt I called my son. When Jesus was, was brought back out of Egypt as a child, he was, this was a fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Now we can look back at that and go, look, God was even telling us what was going to happen back in Hosea. But before that prophecy was fulfilled, we didn't, no one would have known what that was going to look like. And that's the tension that we live in as we try to understand understand unfulfilled prophecies is we look at a, pro a prophecy and we go, well, I, it could mean this, but we don't know exactly what that means. And it's more challenging, and, and it's really challenging for, for one big reason. Um, we have two thirds of the information we need in order to fulfill a prophecy. So first, we know what happened. We know the history. We, we know what's taken place between essentially Jesus came back and now. That, that we know the history. You can, you can read books. We can discover together. But what's important about knowing the history is that we know, well, the one thing we know is that Jesus hasn't come back yet. That, that's something we know, is that Jesus' second coming has not taken place yet. And so I, I heard an analogy like this one time, um, that, that Jesus... If somebody comes in, or Jesus' second coming, it's going to be as apparent to us as a nuclear bomb going off in your front yard. That no one is going to need to come and tell you that happened. That if, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, just so you know, a nuclear bomb went off in your front yard, you don't believe them. Because if a nuclear bomb went off in your front yard, you would know it. And it's the same with the coming of Jesus. Scripture will say it will be like lightning from the east to the west. The whole world will know. And if somebody comes to you and says, hey, did you know Jesus has come back? If that's the way you're finding out about it, Jesus has not come back yet. That that's not how, how that's going to work. But what, so what we know is that we know everything that's happened up until now was not the second coming of Jesus. The second piece of information we do have is that we do know what's happening now. We do know what's taking place in the world. Now, we don't know what the fallout of that's going to be, but we do know the things that are happening now. And so what we can do with that is we can begin to speculate and guess and look at the events and look at who's doing what and all of these kinds of things and perhaps try to put it into the context of the book of Revelation. But we don't know because it's only happening now. But the last piece of information that, that we don't have that is, would be the most crucial to understanding the, the biblical prophecy is, is unfulfilled prophecies. We don't have, what we don't have is what's going to happen. We don't know what it is that's going to take place in our world. 
And that's the most important because if we knew everything that was going to happen the way that we know what's happening and what is happening, then we would be able to say, oh, this is when it's going to happen. So we don't need to worry about it now because it's going to take place then. But we don't have that information. So the best we can do is say, well, everything that's led up to now isn't it. Now might be it, but we don't know. And that's what makes it so difficult. And because we don't have all the information, people can have a tendency to try and think that, that the second coming of Jesus is a code to be cracked, to try to figure out what the Bible has to say about end times and to try and figure out the future by using the present as a guide. Um, I probably don't even need to say any more to you than this, but just Facebook. Um, I used to be a part of a Facebook group, and there was a, a guy, well, I'm still a part of the group, but the guy isn't there as much anymore. But there was a guy who thought we were living in the book of Revelation, and it seemed like every couple of days he was coming with more news about things that were taking place in the world and things that were happening, and here's how it's fulfilling this, and here's how it's fulfilling this. I think um, COVID kind of took the wind out of his sails a little bit. Um, as that was not what was expected on his radar and haven't heard from him nearly as much since then. But, but we have this idea that somehow we, we, we are, can crack the code, we can figure it out. And so for tonight, what I want to do and for the next time we're together, is we're going to look at three different case studies, so to speak, of some claims about what people have decided the Bible says about end times. To have figured out what, what, what the Bible does say, only to discover that perhaps what they thought the Bible did say, the Bible in fact doesn't say. And as we work through what they had to say, we'll see some things that, that, we have, that we, maybe we've heard, heard before, some warning signs that we can take away. Tonight we're going to look at two famous or, or infamous end times prophets and discover together how they used scripture to come to the places that they came to and allow how they used scripture to serve as teaching points for us in our lives as we look to hear what people have to say and, and read and try to understand these things for ourselves. To look at what they did and allow that to teach us how to think critically about what other people are doing so that when somebody comes to us with an idea, be it about in end times or any kind of theology, that we know, okay, this is how I need to process these new things. These are some steps that I need to take in order to have a proper biblical understanding of the things that are going on. And next week, actually, the, the third case study will actually be you and I. Um, we're going to talk about some verses that, that we may believe show us something about end times that perhaps are, are meant to show us just the opposite. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at a couple of famous end times predictions that as far as we know, um, as far as we're aware, are not correct. Again, no atomic bombs went off in my front yard. So I don't know that. If, if these were true, we would know. Um, and, I'll, uh, and, and I want to be clear, we are not looking at these claims to, to mock or ridicule these men. Although you'll probably find some of their claims a bit ridiculous. Um, I intentionally picked seemingly some sort of exaggerated examples of some of these things. But they're exaggerated just so that we don't get caught up in the details. But so that we can really dig into these and understand and, and be able to take away some big principles. These two claims are going to be able to, uh, through these claims, we're going to be able to unpack some really crucial and significant errors that were made in a very, in very grand ways. But there are things that you and I need to be careful about, not just on a grand scale, but on a smaller scale. Because not everyone makes these kind of errors in such grand ways, but sometimes it's much more subtle and, and understated. And sometimes we can even make these same kind of mistakes in our own, our own Bible study. 
Now to begin, I want, I, want, I want to be clear and I want you to know and understand that both of these men claim to be coming at their predictions from a biblical point of view, that they believe that through Bible study and through the Lord speaking to them, that's how they came to the conclusions they came to. That, that the, it's not just, oh, these were some people who thought the world was ending. No, these were people who believed that they had figured out when Jesus was coming back. They were going to, to through, the, through, the, through, through God and through scripture and through all of these things. They had figured it out. And so I want to just be clear about that because as much as some of this is going to sound ridiculous, just remember these men were, were using scripture. The first man is a man named David Mead. Um, although that's his pen name, as he's never really used his real name, but he, he predicted the end of times, that judgment day, that the day of the Lord, however you want to say it, would be on September 23rd, 2017. And his prediction actually centers around an undiscovered planet, a planet called Planet X or, or Nibiru. Um, and this planet was said to be hurtling towards Earth. And this was going to spark the end times in the Bible, that this was the, the vehicle through which the end times would be, would be kicked off. Now, how he gets to this, I'm sure you can guess and anticipate. It's a little convoluted because most often these end of world predictors don't just look and say and go to the pages of scripture and say, well, the Bible says this. So this is what I figured out. It's often that they'll try and mix the Bible with all kinds of things. With, with their best understanding of things going on in the world, geopolitical things, um, th current events, things that are taking place in the news around the world and things like that. And they'll probably mix in a little geology and a little volcanic stuff and maybe some physics and outer space stuff. And they will mix in some ancient languages stuff or hidden or obscure meanings of words. And they will mix all of that with what is called numerology. And because of the, of the mixture of all of these things, as they present all of these things as evidences and all of these things as reasons why, why what they're saying is true, and they, they have it all and they're, they're bringing it and they start just pouring these things on us, it can really be hard not to get overwhelmed by the amount of things that are presented and that can make all of this seem convincing. Now, most of the stuff we're not going to be convinced by, but it's these kind of that people will use when they're false teaching, when they're trying to get you to believe things away from the Bible, is they'll bring in all kinds of things. It all sounds amazing, and some of it's connected to the Bible, and some of it's connected to the things that the Bible says, and they'll just start pouring all of this stuff over us. But, but we need to understand that the, the Bible is our source, and, and we need to understand how to use the Bible to understand that. But, but specific to our look at Mr. Mead, he, he wrote a book called Planet X, the 2017 arrival. You can actually still buy it on Amazon. I think it's $3.99 on Kindle, $10.99 for the paperback. And in his book, he, he straight up essentially says, what I'm about to tell you is going to happen. He doesn't propose it as a theory. He doesn't propose it as an allegory. He doesn't propose it as an idea. He says, this is what is going to take place. He, he leaves no wiggle room, no ambiguity. He is predicting the end of all things. And of course, we know that that that, that day, uh, September 23rd, 2017, was not the end of the world. Um, and when that didn't happen, he adjusted his calculations a little and suddenly the new date was April 24th, 2018. Still didn't happen. And this is very common for these types of predictors in two ways. First, um, they're almost universally 
their predictions take place within the predictor's lifetime. It's, it's never, I figured it out. G Jesus is coming back in 200 years. It's always, I figured it out, and Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back very soon. Um, often there, there's an understanding and a belief for, for a lot of these, these people that, that they, they are in the last generation, that it must be within their lifetime that Jesus is coming back. And the second thing that's very common is that when they get it wrong, they almost always come up with a new date. It seems like they can really, really struggle with the idea of getting away from, I was just wrong. And, and not somehow finding a way to be able to say, I was just off by a little bit on the date. But rarely do these predictors not predict another date when their first prediction inevitably doesn't turn out. But in his book, David Mead, as he talks about Planet X and he talks about all of these things, and it seems like this is not, none of this is biblical, um, he actually does use a lot of scripture. And so what we're going to look at is how he uses scripture and the Bible and learn some things about how some people use the word of God, which is not how we are called to use the word of God. Some things about what not to do at, with the word of God and some things to look for when people make these kind of claims. Now, if you want to find some of the places that he's going to talk about in your Bible, if you want to follow along or take a look at it for yourself, you can look at Isaiah chapter 24 and Revelation chapter 6. Um, these are the two main texts that we're going to look at. He uses lots of scripture in his book, but these are the two that we're going to highlight at least anyway, um, because he, he talks about how these are the two biggest evidences for his thing. And so if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 24, and when we talk about what he does with it, the thing you need to know is you have to read it from the King James Version. Um, because no other version of the Bible is going to have the phrasing that he needs for this verse to have in order for his prediction to, or his, his biblical evidence to have any kind of, of, to hold any kind of water. The only place where you can find the phrasing that he's looking for is in the New King James, or sorry, in the King James Version. We'll talk about why that is in just a second. But when, he, when you read Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1, it says this, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and it turneth upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And so the part that, that this verse that he focus on, focuses on is when it says, turneth it upside down. And in his book, this is what David Mead says about this verse. How is it turned upside down? I believe the next North Pole will be in Siberia, northwest of Lake Baikal near the borders of Russia and Mongolia. So the first verse that he uses to show us how his theory is based on scripture in the opening pages of his book, he points to this verse as showing us the proof for his theory of the North Pole being moved because of planet X. Now, obviously there's some problems here with the way that he's using scripture. The North Pole being moved into Russia isn't really turning the earth upside down. And it also ignores the parts of the verse like God making the earth empty, making it waste and scattering its people. He has pulled out this one phrase and said, because this one phrase is used in this one verse, in this one translation like this, it's proof for my theory. And it's important that we note that he used the King James Version because when we move to a newer translation, a translation that, that's been able to, to be more accurately represented of the original languages like the New King James Version or the NASB Version or the ESV Version, it will read more like this. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. 
But instead of it turning, turns it upside down, it more accurately says it distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And if you read this verse in the ESV, the NASB, or even the NIV, you get a translation much closer to this. And if you go all the way back to the Hebrew, if you want to do your Bible study to find out exactly, well, what does the Hebrew say and, and what is that? You find that the word means to bend or twist, not to turn upside down. Now, when the King James Version was translated, the reason why they used the phrase turn up down it actually had had to do with an English idiom it's a phrasing it's a phrasing that we we may use oh my life has been turned upside down recently um, Yvonne and I have, have just moved into a new house and it feels like our whole world is turned upside down now when I say that to you you hear that and go their house is upside down what they moved into a new house and the whole house flipped over? Wow, that is a problem. That is pretty crazy. That would keep you pretty busy. You don't think, oh, you're walking on the ceilings? It, 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 it's an English idiom and that's, that's what the King James Version uses to say that the world will be, you know, and then that's where it, it's twisted or bent. It's changed. It's, it's thrown into chaos. It's, it's chaotic. But it doesn't mean to literally turn it upside down. And so what we see that is that it's not really the, the shape or the positioning of the world that's going to change, but the events that are going to happen on the earth, are, they're going to be affecting the surface of the earth. They're going to be, there's going to be these cataclysmic events that's going to happen, nuclear war or, or all kinds of different things that's going to reshape the face of the earth. So his very first use of scripture is taking a verse that's talking about the day of the Lord and the day of judgment, but he doesn't start or with what does the verse say is he doesn't start with let's read Isaiah and bring out what it means. He, he looks for a verse to justify what he wants to say. He looks and says the, 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 this planet, it's going to come either crash into earth, which is going to adjust the shape, adjust the way the earth sits in its orbit, or it's at least going to pass by so closely that it's going to shake the earth out of its, its pattern that it's in right now. And so where can I find a Bible verse that says something like that? He doesn't start with what the verse says. He starts with what's going on inside of his own head. And he's got to ignore the parts of the verse that don't fit or don't apply to his idea. But he, he finds this one phrase in this one translation and says, see, that's it. And he tells you that it's his idea of the moving of the North Pole. Now, this already is giving us a, a good example of what we often see when people try to predict the events of the end times. They, they take one idea and they hijack it out of the text and, the, the, and apply their own ideas to make it work. A, a, pr a plain reading of this text, even in the New King James, if you were to read this verse over and over, read it in context, read chapter 23, read chapter 25, read all of chapter 24, read it without the verse markers in it, read it, just try to get a glimpse of what Isaiah was was seeing and prophesying about what you're not ever going to come away with is I think magnetic north is going to be moved to Siberia it's just not going to come that way now we're going to now we're going to take a look at his second use of scripture but to to understand this and you need to give you a little more context into what he's bringing to this understand or to his understanding of scripture here with planet x or niburu or the destroyer as he'll call it this planet it's an under, under undiscovered planet that orbits our sun and has a has a similar orbit 
or the, the or not a similar orbit to Earth, but but its orbit pattern is going to bring it directly into conflict with Earth. It's supposed to to end up in a collision or a near collision with Earth, and when that happens, this is going to be the trigger for for all of the things in the Book of Revelation. That that as he unpacks the Book of Revelation, it all begins with this planet colliding or nearly colliding with Earth. And this is important because what we need to see here is that so often people will claim all kinds of things like this, the end of the world predictions, even nothing to do with that, different theological understanding, ways of reading and interpreting the Bible. People will claim all kinds of things like this are based on the Bible. But it's not that they're based on the Bible. Instead, they come with this idea and they use this passage from the Bible to justify the idea they already had. We see this with, with so many religious groups or, or cults or whatever phrase you want to use of people that, that take the Bible but then move on from it. Um, things like Jehovah's Witnesses and, and how they, they have the Bible but then they have this other authority. Or Mormonism where they have the Bible but then they have the works of Joseph Smith and you can't use the Bible to get to their doctrines. And so what they have to do is they have these external sources and then they say, now if you read the Bible in light of these external sources and you just read these passages and you read them with this understanding, then you can see how actually the Bible does support the things that the Book of Mormon says. Now, forget that if you read the Bible, you would never get so many of the things that the Bible says, or that the Book of Mormon says. You would never get those. But, but if you read the Book of Mormon and then you just try to understand the Bible in the light of book of the Book of Mormon, then the, you can make some more compelling cases for things. And so, for our 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 purposes tonight, um, Planet X is not in the Bible. But if you listen to David Mead, it's sure going to sound like it is. That, that if you listen to just what he has to say and the scriptures he's using, and if you don't know your Bible and you don't understand, and somebody just comes and says, hey, look, this is in the Bible. Here's the text. And if you don't know what these texts are really about, it can seem convincing. And this is one of the most important reasons for us being able to have a firm grasp on scripture. Because we can know when something is being used wrong. But David goes back into scripture and points to Revelation chapter 6 to show his theory to be biblical. In fact, this is what David Mead will write in his book about Revelation chapter 6. If you want absolute proof, absolute proof. So there, th this, is, this is absolutely the most dynamic and compelling proof. And after you go through this, there is no other conclusion you can come to than what he's going to present. If you want absolute proof of the planet, a.k.a. Nibiru. Here it is. It confirms it or this shows or proves or proof of the truth of this. And it's speaking of specifically. And it is this. Open the sixth behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became sackcloth and the moon stars of the sky fell fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a, a scroll every mountain place the kings of the earth and the great powerful and every tree hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains of his theory. 
me probably as we read through that you were probably not you were waiting for something that never really came it doesn't mention another it mentioned the earth it doesn't seem to be absolute proof that the planet out there that's about to crash but when david mead does David Mead does, he says the sixth seal is this obvious depiction of the planet crashing into the earth, or at least coming near the earth. In his book, he writes this. Think of these matters. A great earthquake. Sun, the moon changing. Stars falling from the sky. Split open when every mountain is moved. That is prepared for the only old split open the atmosphere as a use this phrase in just these couple of coincidentally isn't something the passage says and there's no translation you can go to where it says that um but he says it, only a, a planet x passage could open the atmosphere the sky depart like a interactions with the it would worldwide earthquake move via a pole shift. Therefore, to me, the description of seal six in the Bible is the single greatest proof of planet X. And that's all I need to tell you, isn't it? He says here, here are the verses. That's proof that there is a planet X. Obviously, as we read that and we understand that, there, there are so many ways that you could read and come up with answers to all of those things that have nothing to do with planet X. This way of going about Bible study where you look for the Bible to just simply confirm what you want it to say is, is called eisegesis. And it means that I come to scripture with a preconceived idea of what I want the Bible to say. And I'm going to read everything like that and use it to make it say what I want, to confirm what I already think. And we all do this to some degrees. We, every one of us comes to the Bible with, with a preconceived understanding of theology. It's not bad and it's not wrong. In fact, sometimes it's, it's helpful to do that, that we don't just try and read each and every single verse in the Bible alone on its own, but we have an understanding of, of theology. We have an understanding of who Jesus is. We have an understanding of what grace means. We have an understanding of the old covenant and the new covenant. We have understandings of all of these things. So as we read a verse, we're able to understand it in light of the things that we already know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But when it's taken too far, it can be. And when we lean too heavily into this style of Bible study, it can be really dangerous for our theology because we're not allowing ourselves to be, to be shaped by the Bible. That if we only ever read the Bible with the things that we believe to be true, ever in mind, we'll never be stretched or growing in our faith will never come to a place where we have questions where we can work through and discover some more truth about God that if we only ever come to the Bible with our preconceived understandings of the Bible we, we can have a problem a better way to do Bible studies is, is what's called exegesis and that means that we read what the Bible has to say and instead of starting out with, with well I already know everything the Bible has to teach me um, we and, and then just asking the Bible to sort of fill in the gaps we read through scripture and we allow the Bible to speak 
to us and shape us. And so we don't come with a preconceived idea. Well, this must mean this. But we read and we go, I wonder what that means. Let's read it. Let's discover it together. Let's allow the word of God to show us how it understands itself. And so when you read Revelation 6, you will never, through exegesis, come up with planet X. If you read the entire Bible again and again and again, you got a thousand people to read the Bible a thousand times each. You will never come up with planet X from the pages of scripture. But if you come already with planet X in mind, you can squint at Revelation 6 and see it there. Now, the sky vanishing like a scroll doesn't mean the atmosphere being split open by planet X. There's too many jumps in logic and too many understandings that are brought to these stories for it to just simply mean that. It could be fulfilled a number of different ways as we talk about the sun being made to look like blood. Well, we know when smoke rises in the air and it can make the the, the moon look red as, as the stars fall from the sky. Well, are the stars falling from the sky or is just clouds of dust or smoke? smoke or whatever blocking them out and you know there's all kinds of mountains being lowered and and valleys being raised and we'll talk more about how people saw fulfillment of that in 80 and you know there, there's different ways that we can find these fulfillments that's what makes part of this so hard is we don't know what that means but it's it, it's not the way to go to just planet x <laughs> like this uh, not to come to a conclusion but to the conclusion that he all he has is validated by scripture but says it, 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 it with me they cherry pick one word one phrase one verse and say pulling it and saying this can only mean this now there's one other thing that, that David Mead does that's that they do area of when people do and we see and see and understand that this is not how scripture works. People use it and it can see but to know that this is not how the Bible works. And we need to one very specific he grabs onto in seven verse eleven it says 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst and the heaven were open Mead will say that God shows us the year of Jesus' return can you see it? it's in there is this in the second month, 17th day of the month it's to be 17th of to understand which calendar, especially back dramatically different than the calendar that we have in the month, 18th day of the month. What day did Noah enter the ark? 17th month, or 2 17, or 2 17, or 2 17. Or 2017. Why is this in the Bible? Unless God wanted to disclose it. Jesus 
plainly said it would be as in the days of Noah. That because Noah got into the, or because the, the, um, on the second month of the 17th day, the fountains of the great deep birthed forth in the, in the, burst forth and the windows of heaven opened, that because the Bible records that this happened on that day, that the, Jesus was coming back in 2017. I hope I don't need to tell you that this is such a terrible twisting of the scriptures and how we are to read them, understand them, and interpret them. This, friends, is not good Bible study. There's nothing in all of the pages of scripture that tell us we can use the Bible like this. The Bible doesn't use the Bible like this. When the New Testament writers refer back to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, this style of fulfillment is not used once in all of scripture. It never says this happened when Abraham was this many years old. And because of that, it tells us this thing about Jesus's life. It never happens like that. This is not a way to do Bible study. This is not a way to understand scripture. This is not a way to discover for the fulfillment of prophecy. And if you're listening to someone who does this, you shouldn't listen to them. This is not a valid way of understanding scripture. Now, the second person we're not going to spend nearly as much time on. I know you're probably thinking we're only getting to person number two now. Now, we're not going to spend nearly as much time talking about this second person. Um, but there are a couple more examples of things to be on the watch out for when we see people speaking about end times. And in this case study, we're going to look at a man named Harold Camping. Um, Harold Camping was actually a radio preacher in the United States in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s. Um, and his first end times prediction was in 1994. And, and when that didn't happen, when, when Jesus didn't come back in 1984, um, he said that it was a spiritual event, not a physical one. That the point of the rapture in 1994, when, when Jesus came back, what he discovered was a people not worth rapturing. Um, and so instead of rapturing people, God raptured his Holy Spirit out of the churches. That um, we were not, no one was, was qualified enough to, to go to heaven, that, that we had all missed it. And so instead of rapturing people, he raptured the Holy Spirit, specifically denominational churches. Um, and then he was able to remain silent for a while. But as we talked about, once a doomsday predictor, always a doomsday predictor. But then he got, and he got a new revelation from God. And this new date for the end times is going to be May 21st, 2021. And if you have a good memory, you may remember having seen the billboards on TV or, or whatever. Because through his radio ministry and the influence he had, they were able to put up these billboards all over the place. And his radio followers all over the U.S. sold their homes and gave all of their money to, to this ministry to get the word out. And uh, living in the day we live, living through all that we've lived through inside of, of the Christian community, we may go, ah, that was his end game. He did all He believed in this. They, they thought there's no reason for keeping this either. All of the money advertising day was set to October twenty first. That would and so no.
God had revealed to him that he and judgment day never come. This he does come out public and since saying man knows since there are more useful things about people can do sound so convincing if so God, much like David, David, special wisdom to be able to. God showed was that there was going to be seven thousand years between God and so he was a young Earth creation years ago, and day that we and begin his wrapping up the seven years of relationship. There's two passages ending. So, so let's two passages going on here. Sure, it is just a coincidence, but it is kind of a very weird one. But this is where you get into things that people can find meaning. We have to go back to the story of Noah again. Genesis chapter 7 again. Um, but this time, couple of verses earlier, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. And it will say this. God showed him the first days in the universe and if you're into new well seven days that that's the number of completion seven days of completion is seven it's significant then each of these days is now a thousand years well how does he get that well he goes to second peter chapter three verse eight which says but do not overlook this one fact this one fact, it's a fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's a fact. This is a formula. Clearly, Peter meant for this to be a formula that where we would be able to look back at the Bible and find clues to formulate, to this formula, to, to decode that at some points in the Bible, the word day was going to refer to a thousand years. Now, unfortunately, if you decided to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 in all of its context, Peter was not referring to anything like this at all. Peter does not say, my dear, my dear people, my dearly, my, my friends. He doesn't say, here's a formula for understanding God and his timelines. But rather, he's speaking about God's patience. God's patience with us, that, that God's patience is unmeasurable, that, that God is willing to be as patient as needed, that God is not measuring time the way we are. He is happy to be patient, that if we try and measure things by how we understand time, we're never going to understand God because God's bigger and above our understanding of time. So we look and go, it's a thousand years. And God says, it's like a day to me. And we look and go, it, it happened in a day so quickly. And God would say, it's like a thousand years to me. 
And actually, as you read on in verse 10, we get the importance of reading these things in, in context because Peter makes the point, makes a point about the day of the Lord, the, the judgment day that Harold Camping thought he had figured out. And, and would actually, Paul, Peter will say that that day is actually going to come as a thief in the night just two verses later. And what does that mean? It means it's going to come unexpectedly. That right after the verse that Harold Camping says, see this verse tells us when Jesus is going to come back. Peter says just two verses later, you're not going to see it coming. Of course, this verse has no, verse, verse eight has nothing to do with Genesis. It has nothing to do with creating a formula for days and years. But we need to understand something about Bible, about the Bible and about end times. See, it's not a puzzle. It's not a mystical puzzle to be solved. The Bible communicates its truth, truth to us clearly and plainly. We don't need to decode these things. There are things that are unrevealed and things that are, are difficult. But the way that we have, or but the, the, the way things have been looked at tonight, the things that we've looked at tonight are not the ways to navigate these challenges. And I don't want to share this with you, with you to mock them or, or make fun of these men, but rather to give you an extreme example of what many false teachers will do with Scripture. Like we talked about, they'll take Scripture out of context and use them to say something it doesn't. They will point you to a verse or a portion of a verse, and if all you do is read that, what they may seem is actually convincing. And if you take, but if you take the time to read the context of Scripture, you don't understand, or you'll you'll discover that it doesn't mean that at all. An example of this that that, that uh, people do that people could do like this is found in Psalm chapter fourteen. In Psalm chapter 14, people would say, right in the heart of the word of God, in the middle of God's Bible, it tells us in no uncertain terms that there is no God. There is no way to reconcile this. There is no way to, to, to find a way around this. You can't go back to the original languages. You cannot get around the fact that in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it says in black and white, in no uncertain terms, as plain as the nose on my face, it says there is no God. And so if you're listening to somebody and, and you don't know scripture and they come to you and they say, the Bible even says there is no God. You say, wow, that's, I, I didn't know that. I need to figure out how to, the only way that you can save this is to put it in its context. Now, in its context, it will say, a fool says in their heart, there is no God. But if you don't know the context and someone comes to you and says, the Bible says there is no God. What do you do with that? Now, again, this, this can sound like a silly idea, but people in movements and religions do this all the time. So we always need to be wary just, that just because someone says, well, you know the Bible says, out of context, the Bible can say all kinds of things. One of the fastest growing religious movements in the, in the world right now is a group called the World Society Church of God. Um, and it's a movement out of Korea. That's where it began. And it's a group of, of Bible-professing people. But they believe, believe that God has shown them and that they have the correct gospel and an understanding that says that it's not just God the Father, but there's another God, God the Mother. 
And we need to, to learn to understand and worship and, and see God the mother in scripture or we're not actually going to be saved that if we don't come to God our mother. And they point to scriptures and if you don't know your scripture and they say, well, well in, in Genesis when, when it says that God created male and female, it says, let us make them in our image. And it's plural. It says, let us make them in our image. And then male and female, they were created. That, that if, if it's if male and female are made in their image, then there must be more than one and there must be a male and there must be a female. And you hear that and you actually, that, what do I do with it? Well, you, if you understand it in scripture or in context, it doesn't make sense. But, and you can look at that and go, that's, that's not what that means. But if you don't know that, that can seem really convincing. And so out of context, the Bible can say all kinds of things. And so when you hear someone claim that, that the Bible tells you something, it's never a bad thing to go and check it out for yourself. Second, they will bring their own ideas and claim that scripture confirms them. Exegesis versus eisegesis. There are things that someone, are there, are the things that someone is claiming based on what the Bible actually says? Or are they bringing their own ideas to the Bible and starting from a place not found in the Bible? Um, I've been listening to a lot of discussions and doing some reading on, on Catholic theology and things like purgatory and the Marian doctrines where, where they will talk about how, how Mary lived a sinless life. That Mary was actually the first person to live life sinless before Jesus did. She was already sinless. That she was ascended into heaven. That there's all these doctrines. The idea of, of purgatory. And, and, and they, they bring all of these doctrines. I, I've been listening to lots around Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. And they use scripture to back up their ideas of, of Mary ascending into heaven. The, the Mormons point to scriptures about, uh, about becoming gods. The JWs will point to scriptures to, to justify their belief. But as we talked about, they have to have this external authority because these beliefs are not found in scripture. But when you come with these ideas and then you start combing the scriptures for verses that seem to, to validate it, you can find these things. And so we need to be able to look and go, well, wait, are they finding their ideas in scripture or are they bringing ideas to scripture and then saying, hey, scripture seems to support this. Are they bringing something extra to scripture and saying, see, this verse supports this idea and we need to be careful about people bringing in, and we need to be careful about people bringing in extra things to scripture and using scripture to say, see, here it is. And they will also use scripture to say something it doesn't. They will use the Bible in ways the Bible doesn't use the Bible. They will find fulfillment in ways the Bible doesn't ever show us to find fulfillment. To make something show up there that isn't there. But if you twist and tweak and use it like this, then you can make it happen. Numbers, math, patterns that, that show us something hidden. And, and we need to be careful to use the Bible the way the Bible teaches us to use the Bible. Again, we talked about it a few times tonight. You know, we need to know how to rightly divide the, the word of God. An approved workman studies to show himself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. I said at the beginning of this time together that this is probably the area of Bible study where as believers we have the worst theology. And this is how this happens because it's complicated to figure out unfulfilled prophecy. And so the more complicated things get, the more we allow for extra things. We're going to talk about this next time. But, but this is the one area of, of Bible study where, where we as, as believers, we as, as the listeners, we allow people to throw out all the rules. 
Things that if it was any other theological topic and somebody came and said, I discovered this in the Bible and it, it works like this. And if it was any other theological topic, we would go, you can't do that. But when it comes to end times, we go, that's interesting. As we walk through this study, we're going to do our best to avoid to do, doing any of these things. But more than that, I also want to invite you to take a look at yourself and for us to take a look at our own ideas surrounding end times and theology and what the Bible says and hold ourselves up to a standard like this. And next time together, we're going to start right there at a passage that tells us one thing about end times, but probably you've heard it and maybe even probably understand it to say the exact opposite of what Jesus was actually saying. A verse that if I was to quote to you, or if I was to ask you to say, what are some of the signs of the end times? You would probably say these things, you pro or at least you maybe grew up in a culture and, and in an understanding of scripture that would say these things. But actually Jesus would say, these are the things not to look for. And then we're going to talk about how all of this can happen and how we can be on guard, what to look out for, how we can prevent ourselves from falling into all of this. And we're going to, we're going to explore that. Then from there, um, we're going to move on to now that we, we understand how to do this, how to think, how we should understand these things, then we'll move on to, to what the Bible actually does say. So thanks again for joining us. We're so glad to be able to be together for those of us here. And for those of you who joined us on Zoom, thank you so much for being a part of this time together, listening in and being a part of all of this. Thank you so much, and we'll be together again soon. I know there's gonna be some brighter days. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
some